Namaskar and welcome to NFL Masala. I'm your co-host Anant. And I'm your other co-host Rukshuk. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of NFL Masala, where we talk about all the latest happenings in the NFL with a little bit of spice. So today we are going to finally do a recap of week one of the NFL regular season and do a preview of week two. Now, this is, of course, minus the Thursday night football game that just happened uh, between the Vikings and the Eagles. As we mentioned before, that was a special episode that was uh, specifically for the Thursday night game that we're not going to cover in the preview of week two during that section for this episode. So that's why we covered it as a separate episode before. So now we are going to talk about um, week one and week two, but not before some Hamakedar news. And before we do want to do that, um, I know this is the, like, let's take a moment. Of, let's do a quick moment of silence um, because Monday is um set is september 11th in which um one of the most deadliest attacks happened in american in the united states um let's pay some respect for those that lost their lives and this uh, at, on this tragedy thank you let's get a, let's get it going on what do we have today all right first off News about Chris Jones, the famous defensive tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's, you know, ideally uh, probably number two defensive tackle behind Aaron Jones. He's that spectacular. And recently he was in a, you know, contract situation with the Chiefs. His contract was going to be up this year. And so he wanted an extension and he had actually uh, held out of the first week of the NFL. So now he has uh, received an extension from the Chiefs. And it's a one-year extension, one-year deal for, I believe, $25 million. Wow. And, yeah. Now, yes, it seems like it is a lot. But if you were to, if you were to just look at it from a... Um, from a different perspective, a lot of it is uh, incentive-laden. Uh, so the base salary is the exact same as he would have had with uh, a previous contract, minus the lost game checks, uh, game check from week one. He gets okay. $1 million, mm -hmm, $1 million for th playing 35% of all snaps, another $1 million for 50% playing time, $1.25 million for 10 sacks, Another $500,000 for 15 sacks, $1 million for first-team All-Pro and Super Bowl appearances, and $2 million for winning Defensive Player of the Year and the Super Bowl. So that is uh, an extensively incentive-laden contract. Wow. I mean, like, it's basically, okay, we understand you. We'll give you your money, but you, because of the things that you missed out, they get a little bit of goodies on that, so it's kind of nice, but I don't know about this, honestly. What do you, what's your yeah. take on it? 
Yeah, and it's sorry, it's not twenty-five million dollars. It's nineteen and a half million dollars. So it's not even like one of the the best contracts that you can get. It was honestly terrible work from his agent because Chris Jones held out, you know, week one of the NFL where they could have won against the Lions at home, the first game of the NFL's regular season. They could have won had Chris Jones been on the field, but they should have, could have, would have. Right, but but he, um, you know, in all honesty, he had the right to hold out, which he did. But his agent dropped the ball. I mean, this is not a contract that you hold out for. Like, obviously, like you would think that you would have held out for at least a multi-year contract, maybe two, maybe even three years, right? Something that is actually a significant win. But this is just a one-year deal where the Chiefs don't really even have that much of um, uh, of an issue with, right? This is a very team-friendly deal for the Chiefs. So I just, I think he got shafted here. Really, mm. he should have, it, it should have been bigger, but um, at least he's back. But this, you know... I don't know. I, I I just did not like this. But Chris Jones says that he's happy. The Chiefs are happy, so there's not much we can say about it. Um. So, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> Definitely understandable. So with the next set of news, I actually have a change of news right now mm-hmm. because guess what? Today, AJ Green signed a one-day contract with the Cincinnati Bengals after a 12-year NFL career, that means he's officially retired as a Bengal. Congratulations on that. He was a seven-time Pro Bowl wide receiver. He spent 10 seasons uh, of his career with the Bengals and then the remaining with the Cardinals. I don't know why he ever joined that team. He played his final two seasons with the Cardinals. He signed a one-year deal with the team as a free agent in March 21 and second year in April 2022. And, um, I mean, like, while he was no longer the same dominant receiver, he did make a positive impact for Arizona. 15.7 yards per reception 2021, second-highest single-season average of his career. Um. Six, which was six, 16.3 in 2020, 2011. Green had a season high 91 yards and a touchdown pass in his final game against the 49ers on Jan 8th. And remember, this was the guy who was selected by the Bengals at the number fourth overall pick in the 2011 draft. He was the first receiver to be drafted in the top five since Megatron Calvin Johnson went second to the Lions in 2007. And he had one of the best wide routes, uh, wide outs in the end uh, with 1,057 yards, seven touchdowns as a rookie. He was named to the Pro Bowl each of his first seven seasons and had at least 1,000 yards six times. But then again, the injury bug. It played A.J. Green from 2018 and 2019, including an ankle issue that kept him out. And he and you and his total yards, 9,400. 9,430 receiving yards, 65 receiving touchdowns. They rank second in Bengals franchise history to Chad Johnson. Congratulations on a career, AJ Green. I wish he would have been one of those teams that have won a ring, but congrats. 
He's a great player. Definitely, definitely one of the best contemporary receivers of you know the uh, the twenty first century. I'd say like top fifteen receivers. I'll say in the in the twenty first century. Um, obviously, you have greats like Randy Moss and now Justin Jefferson coming up with them. Julio Jones in his prime, Megatron, Andre Johnson, all of them. Mm-hmm. But AJ Green was a top fifteen receiver. Oh, I'll yeah. say that for for a significant stretch of you know the the late 2000, 2000s and the 2010s. So kudos to him. I'm really happy for him. Um, and yeah, now moving on to the next one. A cut to the moment of the week. Oh, no. I, um, yeah, this, this is... So I, I did change this based on the Thursday night game that just happened. Um, okay, so... Between the Vikings and the Eagles, the Vikings had a, a, a lot of turnovers. And this is right. what, you know, Rakshak went into during his um, uh, during his preview. And then also, we're probably going to do a recap of that next week. So be on the lookout for that. But a lot of turnovers, amongst which there was the problem of the fumble Ruski, specifically from Alexander Madison. Now... He is not the best running back, for sure. He had uh, eight carries, rushed for 28 yards, mm-hmm. and lost a first-quarter fumble. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he also had, I believe, another more fumble um, towards the end of the game, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Rakshak. Yep. So because of that, I want to preface this by saying there's a reason why I hate Minnesota Vikings fans. Oh, okay. And it's because they suck. Not only do they wish harm on their rival QBs, Aaron jo- uh, Aaron Rodgers, they are also racists. Oh, because Lord. after this game, oh, no. Alexander Madison received more than 60 racist ho- uh, messages on Instagram and other, uh, yeah, through his Instagram account, including several that use the N-word and other slurs. What? What? Are you freaking kidding me? Yep. This is why I hate Vikings fans, okay? I get... I get trash talk, okay? I, I understand that. That's one of the best things about football that I love. No, Not many sports appreciate and emphasize trash talking between, um, you know, between rival teams. And that's a form of psychological warfare. And, and football is a great analogy of, of war. So it's fine if you want to do trash talking. This... Yeah is completely unacceptable especially in 2023 especially since the minnesota vikings was one of the first teams under bud grant in the 70s to have an integrated locker room to uh enable and uh emphasize growth and maturity between you know all of their players regardless of race in the 70s the Vikings was one of the first teams under Bud Grant 
to do this. So to disgrace his legacy by being a bunch of nasty little pieces of shit. I'm sorry. This is just unacceptable. No, you guys should lose the right to earn a franchise. The Vikings should move out from Minnesota and go to a more deserving location, change their name, burn down that stadium because they don't deserve it. Anav, I'll give you the rest of the floor if you want to have the rant. This this was it, honestly. Anav, listen to me. I'm offering you one Rukshuk rant for today. Go ahead. <laughs> no, this, no, honestly, no. This was my rant. Like, I, I don't want to spend more time and energy than I need to to denounce all these monsters out there. All right? I understand. People are going to be upset. But there's, like, there's a line. You don't cross You, you don't you do just that. just don't do this. Like, come you on now. You don't do that. I'm sorry. But Vikings fans, you are the absolute worst. I hope... And you know what? I'm going to play. I, I haven't done this in a long time, but whenever I feel something really, I feel really strong against, I just call me kiddish, call me a kid, but I usually place a curse on them. Sometimes yes. just for fun. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And with oh. this, yep. you are the first recipient of the Raksha curse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with this, I curse the Vikings. They will not make it to the playoffs at all. I want them to be the worst team in the league, bro. Justin you want Jefferson, them to get Caleb Williams? No, 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 no. I want them to trade out of their first-round pick because they have Kirk Cousins and draft a offensive lineman. The one that helped them? Oh, Terrible offensive lineman <laughs> by the name of Alex Leatherwood. If we could go back in time. And oh, do my that. God. Yes. If we could go back in time and do that, that's what I would want to do. But, yeah, you know what? As long as the Vikings suffer, I'm happy with it. Because they deserve nothing but suffering. Nothing but the absolute worst. Exactly. It's like, I remember this one clip from... um. And my last point, I remember this one segment from Chappelle's show where they have this thing called the Player Haters Award. Um, Dave Chappelle's character, Silky Johnson, after he wins this award, he says, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, and I wish nothing but the worst in all of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be. Anyway, let's move on, and we have some international news. The NFL plan, and this is according to ESPN, this is on September 14th. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has been granted status as home of the NFL in the UK in an expanded partnership that assures at least two regular season games per year will be played at the facility. And um, they're going to, and this is what um, Roger Goodell said on Thursday. Um, Roger Cattell being the NFL commissioner, we are excited to extend our partnership with Tottenham Hotspur through the 2029-2030 season and look forward to hosting future NFL games in the world-class Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as the official home of the NFL in the UK. Growing the game globally is a major strategic priority for the league. Our commitment to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will allow us to continue to bring extraordinary NFL experiences to fans in London while creating a positive social and economic impact. And 
I mean, good job, man. I think um, it's something that'd be really cool. But I have to say this, Anand. I follow the the um the English Premier League, and mm -hmm. I'm an Arsenal guy. Tottenham is a rival, just like the Devil, which is Chelsea. Why on earth would you choose Tottenham? Why not pick the Emirates Stadium? Because it's a beautiful stadium. But and it's all they're of looking chokers. for is money. Tottenham hasn't won a single damn trophy in a long time. Why do you think their star Harry Kane left for Bayern Munich to win trophies? Tottenham doesn't do that. They they're mediocre, just like the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> All Why right, that's an interesting leap. Yeah, Tottenham hasn't won a single thing. You know what? Just for this exercise, I am going to wiki them to see how many championships have they had. Give me one minute. Let us see. Oh, they're currently eighth place. They're not even in the chip. Not even qualified. Okay, so they won the FA Cup. Okay, they won the FA Cup eight times. They won the League Cup, which is a oh, it's a sponsorship knockoff thing. Um, oh damn, they won. They did win the UEFA. The Euro. Oh, they won the backup league, the Europa League, and they won the UEFA Cups League, which was before it became the Champions League. Okay, they did win it, but it's just like the Cowboys. They haven't won something freaking significant. You don't deserve it. Tottenham, you suck. Just like Chelsea and Manchester United and Manchester City. Okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. All righty. So <laughs> the, the one thing that's going to be interesting with all this is, is the scheduling, right? Oh, yeah. Teams that are going to have a an, an international game. How is their scheduling going to be affected? How is their playing going to be affected? We're gonna see about all that now. You know it'll be really cool yeah. with this one. If they had NFL in the UK, if it's really popular, we've seen some international players join in and became part of this of the NFL teams, and that's really really awesome because that's how mm -hmm. big the game is. It's growing, and it's gonna be an Olympic sport. You can't fight the inevitable, right there. And what be really awesome is if they remember the old school NFL Europe. Imagine no, if I they. Don't. Oh, okay. So these are those are like people that were like very for like you're very young. I'm an, that means I'm more old. Oldest goal, by the way, because long time back there used to be um, a division in the NFL called NFL Europe. So like during the summer times, they'll play games like in Europe, like the Berlin Thunder, the Amsterdam Admirals. Like it was pretty cool to see like some American players like play overseas in the NFL Europe system. And what'd be really dope, hear me out, what if the NFL had it brought in two teams from London or that and, and brought them over to play some games in the NFL? Wouldn't that be fun? Mm-hmm. Or even better, try a Canadian Football League versus the NFL in some kind of friendly, like an exhibition. It'd be really cool to get more outreach. Yep, yep. It it will be interesting to see if we can, um, you know, have another, you know, more more international players just to see, you know, 
if that talent is there outside, especially amongst rugby players. So, yeah. Now, let's move on to our week one recap, specifically our games of the week. Starting with Dem Packers against the Bears. Oh, boy. How about them Bears? How about them Bears? Bears fans, do you have anything to say about all the stuff and the beautiful things that the Bears did this past week? <laughs> just, just the magic that they generated on the football field. Like, there was no word. There are no words to describe the utter, you know, impressive display of ineptitude that the Bears described. Uh, <laughs> that, that just displayed on the field at home. <laughs> so I want to go about and, and talk more about the Packers. Because if I talk about the Bears, people will get seasonal depression early on. <laughs> okay? We're still about four months away from getting seasonal depression. Bears fans, that's starting today. All right. <clears throat> For a Packers fan, there's a lot to love about this game. Starting with Preach it. The one and only Jordan Love, the next franchise QB for the Packers. You, He's Thank going you, to be Love. here. Thank you, Jordan Love, for helping uh -huh. me win that team fantasy thing. There you go. You're welcome. And just watch. If you pick him up now, he's going to be on your fantasy team for the next 15 years. He's going to torment the Bears for the next 15 years. He's going to torment the Vikings for the next 15 years as well. Because that's just what the Packers do. All right. For the past you know, 30 years, we've had two starting quarterbacks. Maybe a couple games here and there. Um, and we're going to continue that tradition for eternity. Why? Because unlike the Bears, we actually put some effort into drafting good QBs. The Bears suck. Just one word. They suck. <laughs> they got Justin Fields. They didn't prepare him enough. And he was horrible. They okay? didn't even use Darnell Mooney at all. They didn't even use DJ Moore. Oh, uh, DJ Moore. Yeah, Darnell Mooney had that touchdown. I was like, oh, DJ Moore. Oh, my yeah. God. I mean, I'm like, I don't even know their roster. I'm like, how the hell did the Bears think that they were going to win this game? Yeah, and, and you know, Bears fans were thinking, oh, we're going to get to the playoffs this year. Ha! 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 I love the Teddy version of Anand. I yes. love Teddy version. Yes. They had all offseason touting up the Bears, touting up Justin Fields, saying he was going to be, you know, an amazing QB this year. Saying the Bears are going to beat the Packers. They're going to sweep them. They're going to go into the playoffs. Shut up. That's what the Packers said no, on Sunday. Is, I, I have to pause you right there. You should have said this and as quoting The Rock, a former WWE wrestler, for Chicago Bears, know your role and shut your mouth. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, going back to Jordan Love, right? He had 15 of 27, 245 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks. Really, really, really good performance. Okay. There was mixed in some awful misses. Um, 
you know, especially on first and second down. Uh, he, he was trying very hard. He had a couple of deep throws that were overthrown uh, and a little bit, uh, you know, some crossers and, and some dig routes that were thrown a little bit behind the receiver. But we had good enough receivers to make the adjustment. Um, so, yes, those are some concerns. But, man, did he make some fabulous moves on third and fourth down, especially fourth and third that touchdown, uh, that touchdown pass to Aaron Jones, who ran that Texas route, he hit him up easy, and Aaron Jones, just using his spectacular magic, just ran it the rest of the way. Like the amount of confidence that uh, self confidence and self awareness that Jordan Love had, right in the pocket, especially in those pressure situations on third and fourth downs, gives me really, you know high confidence in Jordan Love as a Packers fan to see, okay, he's actually a good QB and, you know, he can take us places, right? If he can improve on some of those short misses and deep balls being overthrown, which is typical of a talented rookie QB, he can be something in this league. He can be a top 10 QB in this league if he fixes those mistakes. But to see the amount of poise that he had in the pocket, right? To see the amount of confidence that he had in his ability as a throw in Matt LaFleur's offense, in the offensive line, in the receivers, and his leadership skills, right? Everybody on the Packers offense were like, I love this dude. All right. This is the guy. All right. Not many, nobody has said any bad things about Jordan Love, which is exactly what we need. And that's exactly what he can provide. So I would not be shocked given this performance. Yes, it was against the Bears' abysmal defense. Their defense is as terrible as any defense in the entire league. Uh, probably the worst defense, maybe behind the Cardinals. But the Cardinals themselves just held the commanders to 20 points. That's it. So now let's see... Um, if he can do the same thing against better defenses, if he can't, that's fine. He's going to be, he's probably a top 20 QB, maybe top 15 uh, at the end of the year, right? If he has some, some ducks against, um, against good teams and good defenses, that's fine. Honestly, this reminded me of like one of the first seasons of Ishan Kishan. If you remember from like Mumbai Indians, like five or six yeah. years ago where he was extremely talented and you can really see that, but he was frequently getting out sometimes to really good bowlers and deliveries. It reminds me of that, All right? Talented young individual can make all the shots, can make all the throws in this case, but can sometimes get tripped up by amazing adversaries, All right? So now this Falcon secondary is going to be a good test, and I'm going to go over this in the preview. This Falcon secondary is going to be a good test for Jordan Love. Now, he does, just like the Mumbai Indians did for Ishan Kishan, he does have a fantastic stable of supporting casts, right? He has probably, according to PFF this past week, the our offensive line was the number one offensive line. Right? It had the highest grade amongst all offensive lines of the 32 NFL teams. So he has a top three offensive line in the league to run uh, to, to quarterback behind. He has a really good trio of receivers who are making their 
steps. He's got a nice young tight end who is really performing well in his debut uh, in Luke Musgrave. Really excited for his potential. He's got a stellar running back group with Aaron Jones, um, who is now a bit of a niggle. Uh, right, He's questionable with a hamstring injury. So we'll see about that. But they have A.J. Dillon, and they also have Emmanuel Wilson. And last but not least, they have Matt LaFleur's offense, who is a top 10 offensive play caller right, in, in the league. So he has the supporting cast. He has the organization's belief in him. They just, you know, re-signed him to uh, another extension. So he's in Green Bay for two years, guaranteed. So he has everything going for him, which is awesome. And he's shown that against NFL defenses, he can really perform, right? And obviously, the side note for this is that the Bears' defense was abysmal. They only had like 16 pressures and that too uh, from uh, pro football reference. So not a lot of it was um, really targeted against Jordan Love either. Uh, they only had like one sack, zero turnovers, and nine missed tackles. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, this Bears defense is pathetic, but the, the Packers O-line, spectacular. Our receivers, even without Christian Watson, were really, really good, especially... Romeo, Romeo Dobbs. Romeo, oh, Romeo, oh, for Romeo. Mm-hmm. He had two touchdown catches, and rookie Jaden Reed had a brilliant deep ball catch, thirty-yard catch, and was really good as a punt returner as well. So we can split punt returning duties, which I really love now between Keyshawn Nixon and Jaden Reed. So it's going to uh, you know, take a little bit of the pressure off of Keyshawn Nixon as well. And Keyshawn Nixon for the defensive side was also pretty good as a slot cornerback too. So he came in relief um, for, for some of the slot cornerback duties. He was pretty good against um, the Bears receivers. Now, moving on to this Bears offense, I'm talking about the Packers defense. Ooh, I mean, uh, Bears, like, come on, man. I thought... You guys were better than this. I mean, Justin Fields was horrible. But not only that, the offensive line, terrible. Play calling from Luke Getze was confounding. Okay. They had a couple of play call designs that had uh, conflicting routes and layered extremely closely to each other. They had red zone plays where receivers were just running back towards the end of the red zone. Um, Easily coverable by any like a, a, a normal defense, either man or zone coverage, right? They had a, a, another red zone play where you had a random like you had Cole Komet block, um, which is not bad in in eleven or twenty one personnel. But the blocking stance was from a receiver stance and not from that of a blocking like what an offensive line would have to do, right? You would have to get low, make sure that you can get your hands above, and then prop the the defensive end coming at you. Uh, away, but because he was in the receiver uh, stance, he had you know pushed the uh, pushed the defender towards the inside. But if your defender has a good swim move or a, a good spin move, uh, excuse me, which in this case Kingsley Enigbari did, he can easily pressure the QB once he rolls out, and that's exactly what happened, right? Um, on that red zone play, uh, Cole Komet was uh, was blocking Kingsley Enigbari, and it was a right side rollout for um for Justin Fields and 
it just feels immediately got pressured by Kingsley and Igbari because and Igbari had done a spin move on on the tight end and there was nobody else to block him. So like it was extremely, extremely bad play calling and play design. And it was also not um inspiring at all. Like the intended air yards on average was 3.1 yards. That was one of the lowest, if not the lowest, um, intended air yards stat uh, this entire week. Which means, on average, the Bears were hoping to just get three yards, which is basically nearly a, uh, uh, a check down. They were not going deep. Con con uh, you know, conversely, for the Packers, their intended air yards were uh, like... 10 and a half or 12 and the average depth of target was also around 10 and a half so they were really pushing the ball down the field like i had i had mentioned this before in the preview like hopefully we can get some easy throws and play action throws because i thought you know okay he would not be ready for those big down the field throws but lo and behold he was more than ready for that like that's where he really excelled especially on third and fourth down uh, speaking of jordan love here right so so matt lafleur is not afraid to go down the field now because jordan love has proven that he can do that so really, I am shocked that the Bears' offense was like this. Um, and then a little note for the Packers' defense: we actually did some proper defensive stuff. Like we looked, you know, like a good defense on paper. Eighteen point eight pressure percentage, which was pretty good. <clears throat> and Rashawn Gary himself had like a forty percent uh, pressure percentage. Where uh, I think ESPN had um, three pressures on seven pass rush snaps. Uh, Matt LaFleur said he had seven pressures on 12 pass rush snaps. So even then, that's like a 60-70% pass rush uh, rate, which is fantastic for Rashawn Gary coming off an ACL in November. Right? So really good. Um, you know, four sacks. We did have nine missed tackles, but we had two turnovers. So really good defensive performance. Um, against the run, it was not that great. Again, like it was a better showing. We did have Devontae Wyatt uh, who played a lot of the snaps, but especially once Justin Fields started scrambling, it was not fun to watch. They frequently broke contain um, and they allowed him to get up the field um, through the inside. So, yeah, it wasn't that great, but um, it's manageable. Now, the real test is going to be against um, the Falcons, which I'm going to do a preview of. So, yeah. That's it from my side, honestly. It was really a, a dominating performance from the Packers. It didn't really seem like that at the end of the first half. Um, it was, you know, Packers 10, Chicago Bears 6. So it seemed like what I was expecting, a low-scoring, you know, slugfest. But the Packers... Packers offense, once they started giving the ball to Aaron Jones, uh, just 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 tore apart this uh, Bears defense. All right, 14 points in both the third and fourth quarters. So, yeah, exciting for a Packers fan. I love it. Nice. Love to hear it, man. Love to know that you started the game 1-0. Mm-hmm. Nice. With my Eagles, a.k.a. the top of Brady's preseason game, on you got to bear with me on this one because. Go ahead. The floor is all yours. Um, 
Eagles won 25 to 20, but what the hell was that? Eagles came at with an early start. They were 16-0 in the mid-second, in the second, by the second quarter. And then Mac Jones and that offense. And they could not. They can't, they failed to show up until the last minute. Jake Kelly was kicking field goals. You cannot do that against Belichick and company. And yes, I do get the bad weather, but really? Is this the same type of performance I'm going to be seeing almost every single trick of time? Now, with that, let's get to a bunch. Let's get to the stats breakdown. I um, this is really, really gonna infuriate me a little bit more. But hang in there, NFL Masala. I mean, offense, Eagles offense versus Patriots defense. Oh my God, this Eagles offense was so bad. The I saw. I get that you have a new offensive play caller in Brian Johnson, but it it didn't have to be this bad. And I mean, especially the O line. I saw conservative the the offensive line. They only because of the O line, they were able to have seventeen first downs, seventeen three sixty three percent series conversion rate, one point six four points per drive. With a negative 0.15 EPA per play and 36% success in all plays. How in God's name did the Eagles win this game? This is a game that we should have won. We should have lost. I mean, and I want to bring up what a couple of segments. Like the Patriots defense, they're going to, I think Bill Belichick not only had more, more time and more, yeah, more time and preparation uh, to deal with the M- the MVP finalists last year in Jalen Hurts. But my God, 25 seconds left in the first half. Patriots have already come back 12, 16 to 14 because our tight end, because our linebackers suck. They could not even cover the tight ends. What did they do? 25 seconds left. You choose to kneel down? Why? If you had timeouts, I would have recommended you try and get the field goal range. Jake Elliott's already doing good enough. I mean, come on. And 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 then another thing I saw. Two minutes left in the game. You're going fourth and two. Why on earth do you go for it? Why don't you try to pin them back in their own end zone with a punt to seal off the game? You don't need to freaking overcomplicate it. Let your defense grind this out on this one. And of course, this was a bad performance by Jalen Hurts overall. 23 for 33, 170 pass yards, one touchdown, 37, 37 rushing yards, and one fumble. My God. But first of all, you got to give credit to Bill Belichick for taking away the middle option and forcing Jalen Hurst to throw outside, which he wasn't that good last year. But, God, why? Why? Why am I seeing this type of play? He looked like he wanted to be a passing, a passing quarterback. Why weren't you going a lot on your strengths? And I want to talk about the run game. This is a game when you know it's going to be raining. 
I would recommend you use your bigger backs like Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. However, what what really got me surprised surprise was that Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch. Okay, but why are you making Gainwell carry the ball 14 times for 54 yards? Really? Are you going to do that? It makes no freaking sense. And, and what's even more mind-boggling, it's like, and th this is almost like a, I, what I saw was like, why wasn't Dallas Goddard targeted more than once? You cannot do that. I, I, this is just like the repeat of last year with the Eagles and the Lions in the week one in the 2022 season. Devontae Smith barely saw any touches. And I get A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Both were pretty well in the clutch moments. A.J. Brown with seven receptions for 79 yards. Eight, Devontae Smith, seven receptions, 49 y 47 yards, one touchdown. By the way, that was the only offensive touchdown the Eagles were able to put on board. I mean, you can't be relying too much on A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. you got to use your tight ends. Anand, how in God's name do you not use DeAndre Swift? You only use DeAndre Swift for one for one carry for three yards, and you're running the ball with Kenny Gamble for fourteen yard for fourteen carries, fifty four yards. Really? Yeah, I did not that uh, I did not like that running back breakdown either. Like I, DeAndre Swift should be your three down back, right? And yeah. Kenny Gainwell should be that receiver type back, like Travis Etienne was. Um, Kind of, um, and use him more like a gadget player. I know I, what's even more crazy in it, like, like 45 minutes before kickoff, I get a note that Kenny Gainwell, no, that Rashad Penny's a healthy scratch in rainy conditions like this. This mm -hmm. is where you need your power. Why? Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my God! This offense play calling—I mean, usually—and you want to hear a crazy stat on an offense? The offensive line is usually a strength, but they were completely off. You—this is the same offensive line which was strength number one last year, according to PFF. They allowed yeah. 19 pressures and three sacks on Jalen Hurts. I saw that, and and that's apparently like more than the amount of pressures that they had given, like almost all playoff last year. Right. Right. And so, no, but like I, but one thing, I mean, yeah, again, you have to give it to Jay, to um, to Bill Belichick for taking a long type of of um, you know, for um, for for using that amount of time to um for prepping that defense and the same type of defense that I saw. And I need your expertise on this one because you are the best at explaining it, man. Guys, you got to give credit to Anand when he talks stuff like that. It like literally mesmerizes me. So they run what the Patriots did. They ran, uh, they ran almost like zero zone coverage or what's it called? Zero defense. What's it called? Cover zero. Cover zero. So, Anand, explain to them what cover zero does. Basically, you have a, a straight man-to-man -man coverage where you have no safeties going in the deep and playing as a zone, um, and you have everybody else uh, pass rushing, right? You either have a man coverage on any receiver or running back, 
and then the rest are just pressure uh, pressuring or you have a QB spy. Uh, so that's that's basically what cover zero means. You have zero people in uh, zone coverage, especially safeties. I think with that, Belichick has given the game plan on how you can beat Jalen Hurts. Play, play, play cover zero. And and honestly, with that pressure, like the, because one thing the Eagles weren't able to do properly last year was how to stop against the Blitz and against actual good defenses. Bill Belichick is not a pushover when it comes to defensive play calling. And Brian Johnson, that was really bad. What I would have done instead, what do you do, Anand? If, if all things are not working, run the ball. And you do not use Kenny freaking Gainwell in that game. Now, let's flip it over. Eagles defense versus the Patriots offense. I mean, Anand, this is why you draft Georgia. Jordan Davis and Jalen freaking Carter. Woo! I think I mean I'm going to go back to school and transfer to Georgia University. <laughs> really, you want to give up the tech, uh, the the university that Texas drafted Patrick Mahomes? I don't know, man. I don't know, but. Anyway, did you know during that game, Jalen Carter, he was the highest-graded player according to PFF. 92.1 overall, 92.1 overall grade, second amongst defensive tackles. Eight pressures and one sack. Oh my god, baby Rhino. How I'm laughing at the at the top nine at that NFL draft. How on earth did you pass Jalen Carter in the draft? <laughs> I am so happy that we got Jalen Carter. And Jordan Davis, he showed up to game. He was an effective run stuffer. He had a half a sack with Josh Sweat. And he forced fumble on Ezekiel Elliott. A, oh, the, yeah, Mr. Eagle Killer Zeke. But guess what? On the Pat's second drive overall, he he forced the he had he had that forced fumble and the pass running game was shut down. Did you know that Ezekiel Elliott and um, Madre Stevenson were combined for 19 carries and 54 yards? Yeah, I saw that. That I mean, I like what Sean Desai is doing: shut down the run game and make us beat us through the passing lane, so we can allow our defensive line. But the another good highlight I saw was cornerback Darius Slay. He showed us why he's called Big Play Slay. First drive for the Patriots. Tipped a tip, a Mac Jones pass. Tipped past the Darius Slay, who runs it back for a 70 yard pick six touchdown, according to Chisel the Donuts. Can I get a make pick six? Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. I'm loving it. <laughs> that's nice. what he says. Yeah, that's what um, I recommend. Chisel the Donuts. He's a Steelers fan, but he will like, he's really funny with this commentary. Like one time he'll say, like there's one segment, it's like, and he throws a pass, Zoink, but he plays for the other team. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they you know like the SpongeBob meme where he's like acting like or he, they show that thing and he talks to and he compares that with Dallas Cowboys fans. He's like, Oh my god, we're going to the Super Bowl with the boys. <laughs> it's the <laughs> most hilarious thing. But yeah, anyway, back to the game. But uh, and they're able to get two sacks on two critical drives. But 
this was the game that shows that linebackers and safeties are our biggest weaknesses. Mac Jones, 35 for 54 yards, 316 yards of passing, three touchdowns and one interception. Anand, just tell me your thoughts on this one. Make it least painful for me. Yeah. Three Old touchdowns. Mac Jones is back. Old Mac Jones. Yep. Unfortunately. And I think with Bill O'Brien, that's what they were able to do. Hey, because our linebackers are a biggest weakness. What do you do? Throw it to the middle of the field. I mean, mm -hmm. tight ends, hide Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki. Eight catches for 92 yards, one touchdown out of nine targets. And guess where they threw it all were thrown into, Anand? Guess what the answer was? The middle of the field. Kendrick Bourne, six for 64, six receptions, 64 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, oh my God. And what's even more crazy, our linebacker room, which we don't barely have, Nicole Dean, who was playing really well, he's now out for a month with an injury. Nicholas Morrow is now elevated from the practice squad. And and also Reed Blankenship made I mean safety Reed Blankenship made some good plays, but good lord, just good lord have mercy on Justin Evans. He was off on some of the long drives Mac Jones was connecting. I'm okay. I mean, I, I get you have other you had you had other options along with Reed Blankenship. I would have gone with Terrell Edmonds, but why do you go with Justin Evans? I know he's a good special teams, but you cannot allow him to play safety like that. I am sorry. It was garbage. How do you say? Oh, in in, in this, this was a cut it up performance. Uh, and and um and like and during the middle of the game, Avante Maddox goes out with an injury. For no, no, it was James Bradbury goes out for a concussion. We put in UDFA corner Josh Job. And he's paired up against Kendrick Bourne. I'm like, oh my God, please don't let this, uh, pl please don't kill us on this one. But that final, did you see that final play where Mac Jones threw a perfect pass to Kendrick Bourne, but his foot is out of bounds? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God. They made Mac Jones look way better than he is. Yep. But I'm happy that the defense was able to, but I mean, like, and what's even more crazy, um, in the fourth quarter, I want to go back to offense. Jalen Hurts decides, to, when you know like everything is failing, Jalen Hurts decides to go for a QB draw in the third, in the fourth quarter. Why the hell do you force a fumble? Why the hell do you do that? Knowing that you're going to fumble. And during the play, and during the game, Anand, Eagles, after that touchdown... Eagles had five straight punts before they put in points on the board. Five straight punts. Unacceptable. No wonder our defense was gassed. And the player of the game I have to give it to is my boy, Jake Elliott. One missed extra point, but he nailed four field goals with two plus 50 yarders. I am sorry. I was not a happy person. I was calling you, messaging, crying, like, what the hell is going on? Like, I think I may have, like, spammed your, um, spammed the messages. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, why on earth? Why, why, why? Mm -hmm. 
Hard up, Bobby. Okay. Um, yeah, but at least the Eagles were able to win their game. 25 to 20, you go 1 0. That's all I could say. All I could say. Yep. <clears throat> get the win, get out of uh, New England, move on to the next one. Right. And in, in this case, they did demolish the Vikings. So uh, you can be happy with that fact. Now, moving on to the Masala Games of the Week recap. Right. Yep. So, you gotta talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh unfortunately, let's get started with um the Buffalo Bills versus the Jets. Go ahead. <sighs> what Go ahead. a sad, sad way to end a career. Maybe not end the career. Aaron Rodgers is saying uh he's gonna come back, but at least the beginning of the end. What happened was um, Aaron Rodgers on a routine pass play, the fourth or fifth snap that he had as a Jets QB, um, he was pressured and he was sacked by Leonard Floyd. And during that sack, he uh, twisted his left ankle so much that it ruptured his Achilles. Um and this means that he is now out for the season. He has, you know, good news. Uh, recently, he has had his Achilles surgery done by one of the top uh, sports uh, surgeons who uh, tends to Achilles and ACL tear surgeries. Um, famously, he did the surgery for Kobe Bryant, who came back. He also did the surgery for Cam Akers, I believe, the ACL tear for Cam Akers. Uh, who came back uh, and and is looking really well. So there is some hope that Aaron Rodgers can come back. Um, he is also saying that you know, give me all, uh, give me all the doubts, give me all the doubters. Watch, watch what I can do. So you know, the Super Bowl is five months away. So theoretically, if the Jets can get to the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers can come back. But that's highly unlikely. I don't think that's going to happen in any realistic probability. Um, but we'll see if he can come back for next year. Um, he's 39 years old, going to turn 40 in December. Um, he didn't have a great season in 2023. He is signed till next year, end of next year for the Jets. So he does have the contract situation set. It's just. Will he be able to play as a starting NFL QB? I don't know. I mean, a lot is up in the air. He certainly has the self-confidence that he will do. Um, but given the uh, statistics, given history, it's less likely that he will. But, hey, I'm going to give Aaron Rodgers all the hope in the world uh, because it would be very exciting for him to come back and play and maybe even win the Super Bowl with uh, with the Jets next year if he is good. But right now, this season is a lost cause for the Jets. On 9-11 day, uh, yeah, that was not fun for the city of New York. Um, now, moving forward from Aaron Rodgers' injury, it looks like there are uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, it looks like they're going to stick with Zach Wilson. It is his team. Um, once he came in, 
Yeah, I mean, his stats look nice, 14 of 21, 140 yards, one touchdown, one pick, but he did not look like a starting QB. He was rushed and pressured in the pocket. Uh, he looked, you know, kind of confused. He didn't really uh, see through the entire field. He was late in making decisions, unlike Jordan Love, who was actually pretty accurate, uh, not accurate, but pretty quick in his decision making. And he ne- he held on the ball. Uh, he held on to the ball when he needed to and got rid of it when he didn't need to. Um, he was reading through the entire field, but Zach Wilson was not. Even after two years, there wasn't really any significant signs of improvement. So, and the pick that he had was a horrendous interception that was thrown directly to Matt Milano, middle linebacker, pro ball middle linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. Um, so, yeah, not good. And and the Jets' offensive line was also abysmal especially the tackles right and it was Aaron Rodgers who got uh Aaron Rodgers who got hurt on that Leonard Floyd sack came from the right tackle position who was Dwayne Brown at this in, in this scenario um either it was Dwayne Brown or Mackay Becton but either of those tackles uh, it was it was horrible to watch like the interior o-line for the Jets was fantastic, right? Especially in the run game. Reese Hall, boy, did he come back with a vengeance from his ACL last year, right? He had 10 carries for 127 yards. So 12.7 yards per carry, and he had a reception for 20 yards against this Bills defense, right? So Brees Hall is back. And the interior O-line for the Jets was really pressuring and creating some space for um, for Brees Hall up the middle. And, you know, if that's what Nathaniel Hackett is going to do for the foreseeable f- future, uh, just do a lot of inside zone runs, focus, uh, take out pressure from the tackles, make sure that Zach Wilson is, is not the key piece of this offense and it's really Brees Hall, then they might have some success. Um, especially against defenses that are uh, leaky, to say the least, against the run. And in this case, the Bills' defense was that um, bad. Right? They were 0. 0.8, a plus 0. 0.8 points in EPA per rush, which was second worst only behind the Dolphins, who gave up like 230 yards of rushing uh, to to the Chargers. Right. So frequently the Bills defense was gashed right up the middle by the Jets interior O-line. Uh the middle linebackers was significantly weakened after the loss of um Terrell Edmonds. So really if you, if you're a team that's facing the Bills, especially a team with pretty good run game like the Patriots for example, um Focus up. The Patriots run game that got shot out. Look, you had the Eagles D-line, all right? The Eagles D-line was the reason why the, the Patriots run game was shut out. Now, look at the uh, look at the Miami game that they're going to play pretty soon. Oh, um, God. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But, yeah, Ramondre Stevenson 
is going to have a day, suffice it to say. Uh, but the Bills' defense is not that much worse than than the Dolphins, right? If you're facing the Bills' defense, just <laughs> run right up the middle. <laughs> Power running scheme, go for it. They got you know? no linebackers except for Matt Milano. Exactly, exactly. So they have a lot of weaknesses on the interior D-line and in the middle linebacker position. So you can take, uh, you know, Ed Oliver wasn't really that great in terms of run defense, which we all thought that he would have improved. But, you know, pass defense for the Bills has been better. Um, they were 12th best in the league, but given the talent, should have been a little bit better against Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on to the Bills offense, which was the more, surprisingly, oh! the more confounding aspect of this I game. I was confused. Yeah, like... because the Jets won, right? So, uh, spoiler alert, the Jets won in overtime. But because the Bills offense was pathetic, okay, especially Josh Allen, what are you doing? Three picks, two forced fumbles, Ooh! one that was lost. Why are you regressing? Dude, he they is don't trying to Dable. He does not have Brian Dable. And they they don't it doesn't matter, game. though, because it doesn't matter. They didn't even have a running game with Brian Dable, and Josh Allen still threw picks. So it's really Josh Allen just being the gunslinger that he is is going to make these boneheaded mistakes, like arm punts and throwing it in triple coverage. And he got so frustrated that Stefan Diggs had to calm him down. Right? So... It's just the way that Josh Allen plays. He plays sometimes like a high schooler, not like a franchise NFL QB, right? So he needs, for the Bills offense to improve, he needs to start playing within the scheme and not force things, right? Now, even with his mistakes, the Bills did end up being 12th highest in terms of EPA per pass. So top 15 passing game, not too shabby, which is really good because Josh Allen can provide that but he can also provide these type of ridiculous scenarios. Um, the real issue was, again, with the running game. They just can't get it off the ground. They had the sixth lowest EPA per rush. Um, now, this was against the Jets' run defense, which was top 10 uh, in, in the league this, this past week. So we'll see if it can be improved, but James Cook is not it. Like They need another running back uh, who can actually perform um, as a third, as a three down back. Now, the Jets' pass defense was really great in, on film, especially with uh, Jordan Whitehead, who had three picks, right? Um, but it could still be a little bit better because Stefan Diggs did went off for ten receptions, hundred two yards, and a pick, uh, pick touchdown. And um, they did have the 12th worst EPA per pass. So this defense versus the Dolphins should be an interesting thing to watch whenever they play. So honestly, it was a confounding game for both teams, right? Uh, the, the Bills offense was, I don't even have any words to say other than the ones that I just made. Uh, the Jets defense is probably the only hope and savior for this for this team to have any sort of playoff hopes. Now, the Jets were saved by a miraculous punt return touchdown in overtime. but um, and, and Josh Allen shooting himself in the foot. But honestly, at the end of the day, with Aaron Rodgers gone, there's no hope for the Jets to win this division. Maybe they can make the wild card, but <clears throat> the biggest shocker is for the Bills. Right. 
if Josh Allen can't get his act together, the Dolphins or the Patriots have a shot at winning the AFC East. And I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them did because Josh Allen cannot continue to play like this. But yeah, that's it from my side. Rakshak, go ahead about your game. 49ers versus Steelers. Oh my. I mean, like, the... okay. I honestly thought the 49ers and Steelers would be a good game, right? But no. Niners look compl- fully complete. They're freaking scary. And pardon my French, everyone. Anand, the Niners kicked the Steelers' ass all over the game. Oh, both yeah. on offense and defense. And I think this is going to be a day of our days of our Steelers. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And again, welcome back from injury, Brock Purdy. The elbow was completely fine. I mean, he was carving up the Steelers' defense with passing 19 for 29, 220 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. That's impressive. I was watching some highlights of the game, and I'm like, Brock Purdy is playing like an MB. Brock Purdy was playing efficiently well, and this is why... You get him. I mean, like this is why you um you keep Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold, and um, the other QB for um for 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 um as part of the San Francisco offense because he's the best person to run that offense. Unfortunately, it's not Trey Lance, and I hope Trey Lance does well. But and he was and by the way, Brock Purdy was sacked three times, and guess who all three sacks went to? PJ Watt had himself a game. Um, sacked three times for 17 yards. The best target for Brock Purdy was Mr. Brandon Ayuk. Eight receptions, 129 yards, and two touchdowns. But yeah, by the way, did you know Ayuk was targeted eight times and he caught and he caught all targets? It's it, prior to the game, Patrick Peterson, the Steelers cornerback, was talking a lot of smack saying, Hey, I'm gonna get some interceptions. No, bro, you, you take the L. Take the L. And Christian McCaffrey, wow. One twenty-two carries, 152 yards, and one touchdown. Steelers defense, so much for that high-end talent. The only bright light was Steve, for that Steelers defense was TJ Watt. Three sacks, two forced fumbles, one tackle for a loss. One fumble recovery and five QB hits. Damn, that's not defensive player of the year candidate right there. I don't know why. And again, the injuries are still attacking. Cam Hayward was out of the game. I believe he's out for eight for eight for eight games with a pet with a pec muscle or something like that. But my God, we got to talk about the Niners defense on Hunt. They were relentless against the undefeated preseason QB champion Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, 31 for 46, 232 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, he was sacked five times on him. Three sacks for Drake Jackson alone. Three solo tackles, two tackles for a loss, one sack for Kerry Hyder Jr., aka Wreckham Tech, and once for and one for ex-Eagle Javon Hargrave, who had three tackles, two solo tackles, one tackle for a loss. And and he was picked twice by Charvarius Ward and 
Talanoa Hufunga. And which begs the question, Anant, why on God's name is Matt Canada still an offensive coordinator? Why? The Steelers rushed that game only 10 times. They rushed 10 times, nine rushes by running backs alone. Najee Harris, six carries, 31 yards. The longest, his longest one was a 24 yarder. Why? Pratt Firemuth was the only guy who caught a touchdown and a first for a second and goal. And he was injured. Deontay Johnson also left the gate third quarter injured, and that took a toll on my fantasy. Unfortunately, Deontay Johnson saw it. Al Robinson, five reception, 64 yards. Okay, that's med. And apparently, uh, uh, on Monday night, um, on the on Monday on Get Up, you know what Dan Orlovsky said on mm-hmm. He said this. A couple of things Kenny Pickett has to do, has to change. He has to change Matt Canada as offensive coordinator. He used the same pass play eight times. Yeah, and the and Kenny Pickett, he's got the he needs to focus on the ability to read the feet to read the field, take what the defense is giving you and make those connections. And he got to run the ball a little bit more, not just ten carries. It's insane. It is insane. I don't know what to say about this amount. The Steelers, they're not going to the Super Bowl. They'll only go by buying tickets. Mm-hmm. All right. That's about it from my end. What do we got next? Uh, well, up next is going to be one of our favorite segments of last season. The Podge Minute. Podge. Podge. Recap. Podge. Podge. Let's freaking go. Let's go. So. From my end, I will be doing the NFC, and the clock starts now. Now, Lions versus Kansas City. Have the Lions officially ascended? Well, kind of, because they did beat KC and KC, but they did beat them without Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey. But they really played their hearts out. So as tough as it is for me to say this, but they have joined the Winners Club. They deserve it. uh, Lions beat the Chiefs 21-20. Panthers versus Falcons. Desmond Ritter ain't it, folks. Drake London had one target, zero receptions. What? Kyle Pitts, only two receptions. Get them the football. Arthur Smith. Anyways, Jesse Bates is fantastic, and Bryce Young needs some work. Falcons up 24 to 10. Tampa Bay versus Minnesota (laughs) Vikings. (laughs) Fuck you, Vikings. Fuck you. Let Baker bake. Bucks win 2017 in Minnesota. Cardinals versus Commies. Okay, the- wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna. I have to say one thing about this. Justin Jefferson. You know, like before the game, he did. He was. They weren't able to reach out for a deal. Eagles go after Justin Jefferson. Rectify that mistake. Yeah, I don't think the Minnesota Vikings are that stupid, but we'll see. I have hope. I mean, hey, they get hey, they they allowed us to get they they took Jalen Rager from us. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> All right, cards versus commies. The Cardinals actually gave the commies some trouble. Is huh? Jonathan Gannon a good coach? What? Maybe, but 
it seems more like Sam Howell was just getting his feet wet with the with the new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and you can really see the fruits of their labor already. Seven point five uh, intended air yards per attempt, so that's really good. Uh, commies end up winning twenty to sixteen. Cardinals, eh, they're just you know trying to survive for the end of the season. Honestly, they're playing for tank ball. Yes, they are playing for tank ball. Um, next. The LA Rams versus the Seattle Sea Chickens. Yes, you are not the Seahawks. You deserve to be called the Sea Chickens because you were humiliated by Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. Wow. Like just, I, I was shocked wow. by the game. Right? Matthew Stafford, literally back from the dead. Sean McVay, a masterclass in coaching. And the Sea Chickens, a masterclass in ineptitude. Geno Smith was only writing, oh my God, Aaron Donald <laughs> in a notebook as a punishment from now on. <laughs> he ain't writing back. He's only writing that. Stuck it, Sea Chickens. Rams so, win 30 13. Yeah. That Puka Nakua guy. Yes. Oh my God. Puka Nakua. <laughs> And Tutu Atwell are in the top five of receiving yards in the NFL right now. I'm looking at this. Test. They're both at 119 yards. Exactly. Oh, my God. Puka what Nakua and Tutu. Puka and Tutu. Oh, my God. <laughs> Leave it to Sean McVay, man. Elevating oh my God. Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. As top oh. five receivers in the NFL. I don't know what this is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Thank you, Sea Chickens. Thank you for giving us this amazing reward. Um, you know, especially with Geno Smith saying, Oh my god, Eric Donald. <laughs> that was funny as <laughs> that was <hell>. funny. <laughs> oh, I thought like, oh, like, oh, oh, shit. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> yes. And last but not least, the Cowboys versus the Giants. Boom! Boom! Boy, do the boy do the Giants want to reset to the start of this season. The Cowboys defense was number one in DVOA, number one in passing DVOA, and number one in DVOA against RB uh running backs this past week. And they were that for one reason, Stefan Gilmore. No, but seriously, he was an underrated signing and really completed that Cowboys defensive makeover, right? They are the top two. They're the second best defense only behind the 49ers, in my opinion. Cowboys win 40 to nothing. And another stat on the Giants, they become the first team in NFL history to lose their season opener in this type of fashion. They allowed 40 or more points. They were held scoreless. They were sacked at least seven times. And they allowed an interception return for touchdown and a blocked field goal return for touchdown in the same game. That also makes them the only team in NFL history to do that in one game, let alone one season. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how to, I don't know what to say. I honestly don't know what to say. All you can do is sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. But you know what I'm going to say, Anand? Be patient. Just wait. Just wait. It all depends exactly. on the Cowboys offense. Because once it happens, yep. what can go wrong 
will yep. go wrong. Yep. We're we're at this cycle. You know, the, the Cowboys really have a five layered uh five state cycle, right? Okay. You Explain have sure. Okay. So here we go. Professor Anand with the five layered cycle for the Dallas Cowboys. Stage one. You have the preseason. You have the preseason hype. They make amazing offseason moves. They bring this, that, and this player. They're saying, oh my God, we're going to complete this team. All right, that is stage one. Stage two, they beat up on a shitty-ass team and they get the hype up even more. They're like, oh my God, we're going to do this. We're the best team in the league. Then stage three comes around. They have a winning record. The Cowboys fans cry even more. We <laughs> damn boys becomes the mantra later into the season. What happens come January time becomes stage four. Stage four. And that is they choke in the playoffs. They choke in the division round. They choke. Yeah. Or the wild card. They choke in the playoffs. And that stage, that cycle resets back to stage one. It's rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. It's what they do. Yep. Yeah. And look, yeah. All right, and go look, ahead. Okay, now for my AFC. Thank you for, uh, thank you for save taking that one rant for today because I would have gone in on Jonathan Gannon, but mm. thank God you did. Okay. Anyways, Cincinnati versus Cleveland, oh. aka the Elves. <laughs> what the hell? Why do you do this? Okay, there are three things in life, Anand. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You never piss in the wind. And you don't piss off elves. And never give bulletin board material unless you can actually back it up. And I'm going to take a deviation of that. You know there's a college football game today between Mm -hmm. the Colorado State Rams and the Colorado Buffaloes. The Buffalo's being coached by prime time Deion Sanders. Why on earth is the Colorado State football coach a dumbass? <laughs> I'm yes. sorry. Yes. He's a dumbass. Oh, my, my mama taught me how to take off my hat and, and my sunglasses and talk up. You know what? They just made it personal for Dion. I am going, they're going to boat race this team, just like how the Browns boat race the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Damn, that defense borrowed Burrow and the Bengals. Also, a little bit of college football news right what? now. Alabama is playing South Florida. Oh my God, what's and happening? They, they have started uh, Jack Buner or uh, what's what's his face? Uh, yeah, uh, Tyler Buckner. Sorry, Tyler Buckner. Um, after relieving Jalen uh, Milrow of his services from last week's drubbing against uh, Texas, hook him. Oh so now, seven twenty nine in the second half, uh, in the second quarter, Alabama is losing to unranked <laughs> South Florida three nothing. <laughs> Let's go. Buffalo, <laughs> let's go. Uh, that's it. But man, I Anyways, mean, continue with yours. Jim, okay, back to that 
to the elves beat down of the yep. of the Bengals. I think we should call them the Bungles for now until they get their mojo back. Mm-hmm. They're officially the Bungle, the Bungles. Joe Burrow was sacked two times, 14 for 31, 82 yards of passing. Damn. And um, but I mean, like the running game for the for the for the Browns just took over. They had um they they had 200 rushing 206 rushing yards nick chubb buck 106 yards okay so um yeah moving on like the browns one jags versus colts it was a really really weird game trevor lawrence was good had a good performance and oh my god his favorite target was calvin ridley like welcome back ridley he came he came back with a vengeance you want to know what his final stats? Eight receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. So much for Rust. And I have a pl- and there's this one play about the Jags and the Colts, and that is my Masala moment. Be ready for that. You know what I'm referring to, Anand. Texans versus Ravens. Ravens went 25 to 9, but oh my God, why can't the Ravens stay healthy? Good Lord. Yeah, Tyler Linderbaum, uh, Marcus Williams out, J.K. Dobbins running back. He's out for the season with a torn Achilles. Like, good Lord, can the Ravens stay healthy? But the Texans kind of kept it close around half around halftime, but they need more offensive play calling better. C.J. Stroud needs more time to develop, and it was not a good game for Lamar Jackson. Two turnovers and the total offense, and offense had a total 265 yards. Raiders versus Broncos. Just because Sean Payton isn't your co- is your coach doesn't mean that the Broncos will be better. Literally, the same thing happened. Stagnant offense, bad and stagnant and bad offense. You lost to freaking Jimmy Garoppolo. And Anand, I believe um Russell Wilson has to say something to you. Um uh, by the way, you you um Based on based on their performance, um, I mean, know we kind of struggled up a little bit, but um, you got to give credit to the Raiders. They're playing really good. Um, we tried to pass the ball a little bit more, but we only could muster 16 points. But you know, we're going to take our lesson and take this loss. We're going to be better at it. You know, Bron- Broncos country, let's ride. Miami versus LA Chargers, bro. Anand, my God, this was an offensive clinic. Miami 36, Chargers of 34. This was a shootout, and I love it. Tua and Tyree connection just destroyed the Chargers defense like Thanksgiving. And JC Jackson, you got burned. Saints versus Titans. Very ugly game for both teams. Saints win 16 to 15, but my God, Tannehill, that was really, really bad. And it, it was just so ugly to watch. That is all it's- I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Tannehill, it's what we predicted in the offseason, right? We predicted that the Titans were not going to be doing that well. Um, And, you know, I I was surprised when a lot of NFL pundits were like, oh, give this Titans, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins, the Titans are going to be back. They're going to have a fighting shot. It doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. It's stupid. Yeah. um, Yeah. All righty. Now, that is it for the bunch minute recap and now we are going to move on to the masala moment of the week that we both have and for me it is baker mayfield sending byron murphy to 
the Shadow Realm. Oh! With that stiff arm, he won the Angry Run Mace of the Week from Kyle Brandt on the Good Morning Football Show. Uh, Baker Mayfield, what a performance from him, right? Everybody counted him out, but this is exactly when Baker Mayfield shines. And he said to Byron Murphy, get that weight up, little boy. <laughs> Love it. Yep. And now, my Masala moment of the game. Okay. We have to talk about this, about Tank Bigsby. I get it. You're a rookie, but... You just earned yourself a what the hell was that moment. How do we break this? Okay, Anand, you got to help me break this down. So, the rookie mistake that he does, he, like, it's, so what happens is um, the, Trevor Lawrence steps back to pass. He gets sacked by DeForest Buckner. And then... I, I don't know if the ball, if his arm is crossing or if it's like a full thing. I'm thinking tuck roll, right? Tank Bigsby grabs it and he holds on to it. All of a sudden, <laughs> the craziest thing happens. Buckner hits, knocks the ball away from Bigsby, runs it all the way to the end zone for a touchdown. 26-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Like the, the whistle hasn't been blown dead. You gotta play until the whistle is blown dead. Bigsby, you gotta remember that. Right, you got caught right. sleeping. Mm -hmm. Rookie moment. Rookie moment. Welcome to the NFL, big boy. Mm -hmm. All righty. So that concludes the recap of week one. And now we're gonna move on to the preview of week two. Now, as we mentioned before, the Eagles Vikings game had been uh previewed before on Thursday. So Everybody just listen to that if you guys wanted to do, uh, listen to that. So now we're going to move on to the preview of the Packers versus the Falcons. So for me, for the Packers offense to win against this Atlanta defense, they need to watch out for that supercharged pa uh, Falcons secondary led by Jesse Bates and former Packers BB coach, Jerry Gray, who is now the passing game defensive coach um, for the Falcons. Right. <clears throat> um, and this was because Jesse Bates was phenomenal. He had two picks against Bryce Young, and he allowed a passer rating of 6.9. So that, if that doesn't scream to you, um, fantastic performance, and I don't know what does, especially from a safety. So he was fantastic. Overall, they were fourth in pass defense DVOA, and they were the best against the number one wide receiver in terms of DVOA versus wide receiver number one. Um, and they were over the middle and uh, against, so against over the middle and deep throws, they were in the top 10 in terms of DVOA, also thanks to their safeties. So this really shows that their secondary is something to watch out for, right? Especially AJ Terrell and Jesse Bates, who are the two stars of that secondary. And, you know, Jerry Gray being their DB and pass game coach. And along with Ryan Nielsen, who is actually a really solid defensive coordinator. So 
in this scenario, you really for the Packers uh, to succeed in the pass game, they really need to watch out uh, for <clears throat> obviously Jesse Bates, and uh, they uh, actually ran a lot of man coverage uh, against uh, Bryce Young, and that was because they were able to read and and figure out that you know the Panthers were basically running uh, consistent plays. Uh, easy to recognize scheme. They were running, you know, two by two concepts, so two receivers on each side of the O line. Uh, so they were able to figure that out. And for Jesse Bates himself, on, on like an individual standpoint, he was able to uh, suss out a little bit more of of the scheme that Bryce Young was uh, playing in. So they were able to easily defend it. Now, Matt LaFleur does not create a simplistic scheme like that. They, it's a multi-layered scheme. We sometimes run power offense. We sometimes run in, inside zone offense. We sometimes run a lot of play action and RPO heavy offense. Sometimes we run up-tempo. So it's, it's a very varied and multi-layered offense that Matt LaFleur runs. So it's going to be a little bit tougher for that Falcon secondary. But still, they have the talent to keep, um, you know, keep offenses in check. So for the Packers to really take apart in uh, this past defense, they need to target the tight ends and running backs because the Falcons coverage was weaker amongst those two. And that really has to do with their linebacking core. They do not have a strong linebacking core. If you look at um, their, uh, if you look at their depth chart, Especially their, um, especially their linebacking depth chart, you don't really see a lot of pass coverage uh, players, right? You, Bud Dupree, he's a pass rusher. Troy Anderson, Caden Ellis, Tay uh, Davis, and Nate Landman, like they are not good pass coverage linebackers. AJ Terrell, Richie Grant, Jesse Bates, Jeff Okuda, they and Trey Flowers. That's a solid, solid setup of, of their secondary. But if you can target over the middle, and especially with Luke Musgrave really showing off against that weak linebackering core of the Bears, you can really, really um, hook up some important plays from Matt LaFleur's uh, standpoint for Aaron Jones, if he's playing, or AJ Dillon, and target Luke Musgrave and have a lot of these. Uh, especially have Jaden Reed come in for those uh, crossers and any of those plays that run in the middle of the field. Really target that weak linebacking core. Don't go deep that much because Jesse Bates is lurking back there. And don't really target, um, you know, use a lot of motion, right? You have someone like Mike McDaniel who uses motion on every, almost every single play, especially for Tyreek Hill. Uh, we also do something similar with that as well. So use a lot of motion. Uh, to to keep this man coverage defense at their heels and then target the tight ends and running backs like Luke Musgrave and Aaron Jones if he's playing. He's listed as questionable for now. So if they can do that, um, they don't really have to worry about the pass rush because um, you know the Falcons pass rush was decent, but it was also against the Carolina offensive line. So I'm not that worried. They can do that. Then they don't really have to worry about the pass rush. They can actually focus on the running game. So the running game is what the Packers can really, really target, right? 
So Packer, uh, the Falcons' defense was 18th in terms of rushing DVOA last last week. The Packers was only 16th in terms of rushing DVOA, but the Falcons was was worse. They were 27th in adjusted line yards allowed, 27th in running backs yards allowed, and 32nd in second level yards, which is basically linebacking yards. So, um, if they can really target this run game and uh, feature a heavy, heavy dose of A.J. Dillon, Emmanuel Wilson, and Patrick Taylor, who was just called up from the Packers squad, uh, which is more and more indication that Aaron Jones is not going to play this game, then they can really have a time of possession battle with the Falcons, right? If they, if they focus severely on, uh, extremely on the run game, have A.J. Dillon like 20, 25 touches, Emmanuel Wilson another 15, right? Just... Keep pounding the rock. It's going to wear out that Falcons defense. It's going to wear out that secondary. And it's going to be easier to run those play-action uh, passes that you know Jordan Love loves to run, especially under center. So we can really utilize that scheme to attack this weaker uh, run defense that the Falcons have. Now, this is what the Packers offense can do against the Falcons defense. But for the Atlanta offense, they can do shockingly something very similar. They have a similar scheme for Bijan Robinson, right? Who's healthy and who's a monster against Carolina. But they can do something similar because Atlanta's rush DVOA was fourth against Carolina. Um, and the Packers had the 11th best rushing defensive DVOA. We were eighth in adjusted line near louds line yards allowed, but Atlanta was also eighth in adjusted line yards created. And we were fourth in uh, second level. Uh, they were fourth in second level yards and open field yards with the Packers being 21st in second level yards. So Bijan can rush for a decent amount, right? Um, so really they can do something similar to, to the Packers defense, what we can do to the Falcons defense as well. Uh, they can really focus on Bijan Robinson, uh, give him a lot of the touches. Rest assured, Tyler Algier is going to get a lot of touches, as we saw, especially for those fantasy football owners of, of Bijan Robinson, Tyler and G uh, Algier uh, smuggling those two touchdowns away from Bijan Robinson. But rest assured, we're going to see something very similar to that from the Falcons, especially if Arthur Smith you know, is going to continue to not use Drake London and uh, Kyle Pitts in the passing game. So, you know, if if you really want to, you know, ensure that you keep the ball away from Jordan Love, then they're going to run the football. Now, obviously for the Packers, if Joe Barry is smart enough, he can create some more uh, scenarios where we can attack that uh, pass rush and Arthur Smith would have to inevitably move to the pass game, but um, sorry, run game. So, if the Falcons do utilize that um, uh, that that passing game, then the Packers have the advantage in one specific area, and that's the pass rush. Okay, if Desmond Ritter holds on to the ball long enough, which we'll see if he does the Packers might be able to generate a lot of pressure because we were 11th in ASR generated this past week, whereas the Falcons was 20th in ASR allowed. So really, 
I can see the Packers defense. Yeah, they let up a couple yards. You know, they probably let up 125 to 150 yards on on the run game. But if the Packers can continue to pressure, um, continue to pressure Desmond Ritter and that Atlanta O line, then the Packers really have a shot to. Um, the Packers really have a shot to, to to win this game. And so I predict that is going to be a run fest and the Packers win a lower scoring game 24 to 20. And the reason why it's going to be that close is because the Falcons are going to have that same exact um, running game sequence that the Packers would against the Falcons. So, yep, that's it for my side. Um, now, as we mentioned before, uh, Eagles versus Vikings special episode. So now we are going to move on to the Masala Games of the Week preview. All right. For me. Yeah. What you got? I am going to take the Sunday night football fixture, Miami versus New England. AFC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because Mike McDaniel showed a brilliance against uh, the so-called, uh, you know, guru, uh, in, in a defensive guru in Brandon Staley by demolishing that defense, having 466 yards for Tua, 213 or 15 or 30 yards for Tyreek Hill. Um. And and just eviscerating that Chargers defense, that pass defense. It's going to be interesting to see how they can try that against the Pats defense, especially with Tyreek Hill's history against the pa- uh, Patriots, right? In six games against the Patriots, uh, as the, both on the Chiefs and the Dolphins, he has 35 receptions, 550 yards, and six touchdowns. But if you look at the two games from last year when he was on the Dolphins, only 19 receptions for 139 yards. So that's not that high uh, in two games, considering the level that Tyreek Hill plays at. And this is also without Christian Gonzalez. So now Christian Gonzalez is going to be in the show. They run a lot of man coverage, uh, the, the Patriots do. So... um. It's gonna be interesting to see oh, that's how a fun matchup. If exactly they put, right. If they put Tyree. If they put Christian Gonzalez on Tyree Kill. Mm-hmm. So Christian Gonzalez and Jonathan Jones can both shadow Tyree Kill, but Mike McDaniel has shown, uh, especially against this past game, where they, where he put Tyree Kill in motion, um, almost every single snap, passing snap, he was in motion. So they have ways of of evacuate or, or of escaping that man coverage defense um that other teams would like to run so it's going to be very interesting to see um now the patriots defense was number 12 uh in, in terms of dvoa against the number one receiver uh so bill belichick we don't really know obviously the scheme for bill belichick is shut down your main offensive weapon and we'll figure out the rest right so for the dolphins the main offensive weapon is tyree now, if Tyreek is shut down, if he's held to like five or seven catches and like less than 70 yards, that's a win. right? That's a win for the Patriots as far as they're concerned. 
especially given the way that Mike McDaniel uses Tyreek Hill. Right? Um, so from my standpoint, Mike McDaniel is going to do everything that he can to uh, have scheme open Tyreek Hill. Um, and for the most part, it might work. But it's not going to be nearly as high as the Chargers because of one stat. Tua's O-line. The Chargers had the third worst D-line in terms of ASR, adjusted sack rate, um, against the Dolphins last week. Whereas the Patriots, against the Eagles' O-line, yep. they were able to deliver 15 pressures. So imagine that pressures. against... Actually, 19 pressures. 19 pressures. So imagine that against the... Miami Dolphins O-line, which is not nearly as good as the Eagles, right? The O-line only held up that that well because the Chargers D-line, surprisingly, with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, um, surprisingly held up, uh, uh, you know, well against a, a poor showing from, from that D-line, right? So if, you, if you're facing this Patriots D-line, I will. I am much more worried for Tua and that Miami O line uh, uh, against this Patriots D line, who are a excellent at generating pressure, especially not just from one star named player. It's from that entire group. So really, you uh, expect to see a lot of four five man pressures from from the Patriots. You're going to see a lot more. Um, we're going to see uh, like. The battle to watch is Tyree Kill versus Christian Gonzalez or Jonathan Jones, right? So in this case, uh, for Miami offense, I expect to see Jalen Waddle to have a bigger game than Tyree Kill. Right? Obviously, the run game is not going to be important for the for the Dolphins as we've seen previously. Um, They're probably going to be used very sparingly, but. Really, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Mike McDaniel can coach up this O-line to handle this Patriots pressure and to uh, to scheme open the um, the tar- uh, the targets for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Now, for the Patriots O-line, uh, for the Patriots offense, it's going to be a much easier show, honestly, because Patriots defense is far better than the Miami defense. Um, and it's going to be very interesting for Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien to see how they can target this um, this Miami defense, which led up 34 points and 230 yards against the Chargers. Right? They had the worst run uh, adjusted line yards allowed at 5.95, five almost six yards per carry against the Chargers. That's how bad the Miami D-line performed against the run. And they had even worse DVOA scores across the board targeting the wide receivers, running backs, and the tight ends. So really, this Miami D, uh, this Miami defense in general is suffering against the pass and against the run. So for the Patriots, as I mentioned as a sneak preview before, their secret weapon... Is going to be Ramondre Stevenson. 
I predict a lot of outside zone runs for Ramondre, especially towards the left side of the O-line, targeting that weak D-line for the Miami Dolphins and weak linebacking core, and keeping the ball out of Tua and Tyreek's hands. So for me, this Patriots offense is the is is going to be the key winner, uh, a key um, component for seeing how this game is going to play out. If the Patriots offense can stick to the run, keep the ball out of Tua's hands, then they have a shot at winning. And for me, that's exactly what they're going to do. I'm going to pick the upset here. Pats win in a high-scoring game, 28-27, to 27, by having a 35-plus minute time of possession by just Whoa. running the I know. It's a stretch, but I can really see that happening. This is the best way for the Patriots to win against the Miami Dolphins. Right? If force forcefully run the football down their throats, prevent oh um, Tyreek Hill and uh, Tua to perform well. But they will because Mike McDaniel is going to find some way to scheme open those guys. They're going to, like, they had the highest A dot um, uh, this past week, I think at like 10 and a half or something. And on they had on first downs, they generated 17 first downs. So they generated 17 first downs on first downs. That's how excellent they were. And I think they had like 19 explosive plays or something like that. Something that was uh, the highest until like 2012 in a single game. So rest assured, Mike McDaniel is going to find some way to scheme up in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. They're still going to be very productive. Tua is going to be still a very productive uh, player. But it's going to be the Patriots running game that's going to decide this game. And for me, if their running game is positive and, and efficient and effective, then they can win. Okay, I can see that happening. But I think I'm, I might leave with Miami on this one because I think um, they'll find a way to mix, to incorporate more of the run game. And okay. um, and maybe like if they put Hill, Hill on motion and they keep moving their offense to help two up, then it's going to be um, – then I think it will be a favorable matchup for the Dolphins offense. That's fair. All right. Awesome preview. My game of the week, my Masala game of the week is the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a rematch of the AFC Divisional game. Hmm. Yep. It's that it's that one. So basically, it um, and the Jags are it. It surprises me to say this. Um, like the way I looked at it was like Chiefs offensive versus Jags defense. So you're gonna see the Jags go more in a three-four type of defense with um under under um defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. He's gonna come with a more blitz-heavy approach. They were able to generate four sacks against the Colts, but then again. This is not the Colts. This is the Chiefs' offensive line who g- gave up zero sacks, but they were pressured a lot. With um, and this is the same offensive line in which Patrick Mahomes faced forty-three point six pressures pressure rating. He was hit seven times against that line's loss, and I think 
and the Chiefs can counter it with quick passes, go short and intermediate. Don't pass it to Kadarius Tony. That's all I'm going to say. And the best news is that Travis Kelsey will be back. So I would say ease him slowly into the game. And if he explodes, he explodes. It's going to be a long season. And I want to see Mahomes target not just um, with MBS and Tony, but I want to see him use more of Justin Ross and the other uh, and, big, and, and some of the other receivers that they have. So against the Jags defense, I can. There are a couple of play, players that the Jags will need to use. The first of all, but first, the Chiefs will need to rely more on the run game. You keep the ball away from again. Keep the ball away from Kadarius Tony. Otherwise, he will drop it. By the time I'm finished with the sentence, Kadarius Tony will be dropping it. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and apparently, Jags defense, you have to shut down Isaiah Pacheco and force Mahomes to throw the ball a little bit more. And I would look at linebacker Foyer Foyer Oluokan. I hope I'm saying this right. And um. And and with this Oluokan, he is he had 13 tackles and halted that Colts run game, even though they did not have Jonathan Taylor. Boyasade Oluokan, yeah, and um, he actually and he is and, and the thing is the Jags, um, especially in the front seven, Oluokan led the NFL last year in solo tack solo and total tackles last season. And you also have outside linebacker Josh Allen, who recorded three sacks, and number and number one Trayvon Walker, who also recorded a sack last week. They're developing up nicely, and but then again, the answer to to, to stop against this Jags heavy um this this heavy three four three four blitz type of deep blitz type of play, you target the short short intermediate routes, and the best new and the best thing you have to do, you have to bring in the run. You have to you have to incorporate the run game, and that's the only way it's going to work. And if I'm looking more on the Jag side, their depth chart. I don't know we're going to play a quick game really quickly. I'm going to talk about their their secondary. You give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, okay? This will be short. Mm -hmm. Tyson Campbell, thumbs up, okay. <laughs> Andre Cisco, free safety. Uh, thumbs down. Trey Rayshon Jenkins. Thumbs down ish. Darius Williams. Thumbs up ish. Like they're uh, all decent players. All right. Well, there you have it. The only way the Jags are gonna have to they can win this game is you have to bring in that pressure. And Matt, I mean, unfortunately, you don't have a Jalen Hutchinson, uh, an Aiden Hutchinson type of player, but you do have some good players in Foley Oluokan and Devin Lloyd, who is developing, and Josh Allen, the the Jags, Josh Allen, and and also um, their front seven, and they do since they have like a lot of depth on that side, I think they can bring in a lot of rotation and keep that going. That's the only way you're gonna help that Jags off that Jags defense. And then Chiefs defense versus Jags offense. By the way, the Jags are 12th in offensive DVOA. The Chiefs are 29th in defensive DVOA. This is without Chris Harris without um Chris Chris Harris, right? Or Chris Jones. Chris Jones. Chris Jones. Chris Jones. Okay. Oh my god. Forgetting already. The embarrassing of me. <laughs> but 
here's the thing. Like, oh yeah, and speaking of Tyson Campbell, he was pro football six highest graded corner last season. But the Jags, they were 28th in pass defense last year. This is going to be a good opportunity for the Kansas City wide receivers. So back to Chiefs often, no, Jags offense versus the Chiefs defense. So now with Chris Jones back, this, and also, by the way, this is big news. Offensive coordinator Press Taylor, he's going to be calling the plays. In, all, in the first time in his head coaching career, Doug Peterson's not going to be calling plays on offense. He's going to give that duty to second-year offensive coordinator Press Taylor, who used to long time ago used to be one of the Eagles coaching staff when they won the Super Bowl, and he's the, the younger brother of of, since, of Bengals coach Zach Taylor, by the way. So you're going to be seeing a lot more West Coast type of uh, the um, Peterson and Taylor. They're going to be running a West Coast type of offense, mainly something with Andy Reid, but. Um, and, which means like the Jacksonville's offense, they're going to be using a lot of timing routes, sending guys into motion, screens, RPOs, run play option, run pass options, zone running, frequent substitutions, and timely deviant shots. Trevor Lawrence, he had a game yesterday against the Colts. Um, and and they and like with that, he had like yeah, two hundred forty ones against the Colts defense, two touchdowns, one interception, sacked two times. Um, and, and he had, and he has a 75% completion, his best weapons that he could definitely bring up out would be Travis Etienne. And I think like, again, you have to build, build it through the run when they were able to, to get through the run. It creates a lot of opportunities for their wide receiving core, Travis Etienne, 77 yards of rushing and one and one touchdown. And which is good. And then of course, tank Bigsby. Remember, Bigsby, hold on to the ball. It's not that hard to do. And and also, they do, and, and the Jags are bringing in some good weapons. Calvin Ridley, who had a monster of a game, eight receptions, 11 tar out of 11 targets, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Then that would be your best option. Second, two, second one would be Zay Jones. Christian Kirk wasn't even involved at all in the game, but I'd like to see more of the distribution. Zay Jones it it would be your second or your third best. Five receptions, 50... Of 55 yards and a touchdown. Evan Ingram, tight end. I would like to see some tight end screen work into play in ETN. And Christian Kirk was like non existent, even though he's paid that handsome contract. But the only, and I think like with this, the Chiefs corners are pretty much okay, um, especially with the emergence of Mr. Trent McDuffie. Um, I think with McDuffie, he could match up often with Kirk, but. The biggest threat has to be Calvin Ridley and Evan Ingram. So I would imagine Algerius, um Chiefs um, corner Legarius Sneed to shadow um, who, um, shadow Ridley. And then their safeties are no joke. Justin Reed and Brian Cook have some work. They can work. Um, they'll probably be matched up against um, Evan Ingram. And then you're... And then with Chris Jones back, Willie Gay and Drew Tranquil, the Chiefs linebackers, this is going to be perfect to go for Steve Spagnuolo, man. This is like literally handing on his things. And remember, Jack's all offensive line. Last year, they allowed the fifth fewest sacks in the regular season, 28 sacks. They only conceded two against the Colts, but they faced difficulty against DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. Now, if you're expecting Chris Jones to come back, uh, good luck. Steve Spagnuolo is going to blitz aggressively. And against the heavy blitz, Lawrence threw a pick. A very, very bad thing. And again, 
Jags can counter with the run. The Chiefs, the when when um it, like the Chiefs were solid against the run last week. They held the Lions to 3.5 yards per carry, but I think with the but because I honestly felt like the game was mainly held more towards the passing. But the Jags, like Doug Peterson, they build it through the run and then they start attacking from that. And the Jags' red zone offense is one thing to look out for. They're three for three in in scoring in the red zone in week one. So I could see them using a lot of plenty of motion for the for the Chiefs. You have to stop the run. And when you do, you can bring in the blitz. You can go blitz happy on this one. So with this, it's going to be a very tough game. It's going to be a shootout. But I see the Chiefs winning 27-24. They go back in the win column. What do you think? Yeah, I see that too, honestly. Uh, the Chiefs are not going to be one of those teams that you know go on a slide. But if anyway, they lose, <clears throat> I think we yeah. have to talk them seriously. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, um, so that concludes the preview for week two. That actually concludes our episode for today. So if you guys uh, have enjoyed it, please leave us a review at one of the four pl uh, podcast platforms that we host, it, po host this podcast on. <laughs> Apple, Google, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Or send us an email at nflmasala at gmail.com, uh, spelled as nflmasala at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram, which is at NFLMASALA2022. That is at NFLMASALA2022, all lowercase. And you can also follow us on Twitter at the same exact handle at NFLMASALA2022. So now we're going to hit you guys with our signature outro. Go Pack Go! And fly, Eagles, fly. Take care and have a great weekend.